place to be tonight. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And if you don't know what it is to be bound, if you don't know what it is to, well, of course you do. Of course you do. Of course you know what it is to be alive in a world where there's no liberty, where there is just that feeling of being stuck. But when the spirit of the Lord comes upon you and he gives you that breath of freedom, that's everything. Wow, what, what wonderful singing tonight. Thank you, not only for doing that with such talent, but with heartiness as unto the Lord. And that's what makes all the difference. Amen. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be preaching to you. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible and have it there, I'll be there along the way somewhere. I'll get up with you. I'm going to be looking at Luke 14 tonight with you, but I've got some other thoughts in my mind to get out of the way first. So if you'll open to Luke 14, that's where we'll, that's where we'll get to eventually. My, my brother and I, back in the back somewhere, I've lost him. He's over here somewhere. We were talking tonight. He was telling me about, about years ago when he'd started uh, attending the Church of God. And, and he said that he'd come out of something else. And, and he'd attended for a while. And he said he sat in the balcony one night at church and that God gave him a vision and he really finally for the first time he saw the church. You hear what I'm saying to you tonight? He saw the church for what she really is. Amen. I, I, I got to be honest with you. Part of, the, part of the difficulty of pastoring in the current day and age is that it feels like we've got We've got so much that's said about the church and everybody in the world wants to look at the flaws and they want to see all the things that they think are wrong and they want to find fault with everything. And, and, and sometimes it's just simply a matter of that they find fault with the church when she preaches the truth, when she tells things like the Bible says there. People, people don't always like that. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if you can ever get a vision of the church for more than just what she seems on the surface, if you can get a vision of the church as she is clothed in kingdom garments before the Lord God. I said to our brother, I said, the Lord gave to you just exactly what he gave to John. When he said, come and let me show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Amen. I want you to see her for what she is. I want you to see this church. If you've seen the church, you've seen the kingdom of God. Amen. I wanted to say that to you tonight because it's on my mind as I come into the pulpit that if there is a theme that runs cover to cover through the Word of God, that the big thing that God was building toward, the big thing that God was, was getting ready to pull back the curtains and to demonstrate, it is the kingdom of God. Amen. The kingdom of God. I really wanted, I was going to spend a little more time tonight. I was going to go into Daniel and the Lord had other ideas. He said, don't do that, don't do that. And I said, yes, Lord, you're the master. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the kingdom in, in, in other things and especially, but, but I'm trying to mind the Lord. But if I could just say to you what a privilege you and I have to be kingdom men and kingdom women. Amen. When I open my Bible and it talks to me about all those things that we have in the kingdom of God, I just, I just open my Bible up. I find John the Baptist coming and preaching and saying the kingdom of God is, is near. Here comes Jesus right behind him saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. And it's there for the taking. If you'll just reach out, you'll have the kingdom of God. And we get over into the, the rather the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he tells me all the things about life in the kingdom as I, just, as I just move through that. About the blessedness of being poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to them already. It's already theirs. Those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are all these. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So many things there. I read in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, being in the kingdom of God gives us authority to pray and to say, Our Father who art in heaven. Who else can say it that way? Who else can pray and say, Our Father? You know what Jesus was telling us? That because we're in the kingdom that He opened up to us, He was saying to us, I'm giving you permission to have the same relationship with the Father that I have with the Father. Amen. Before He said that, only everybody could, the only person that could say that was Him, my Father. But He said, I want you to pray this way. 
I want you to say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed, be, hallowed be thy name. I, I find that in this kingdom life that we live, we have the power, according to the scripture, we have the power to laugh, to scorn the treasures of the world because we have treasures in another place. Amen. Because we have found the greater treasures that do not fade away and that thieves don't steal and moths don't eat and rust doesn't ever corrode. Amen. And I find here in this, it tells me that in the kingdom, in the kingdom I have the power to go the second mile with the one who impels me to go with him the first. Amen. And to love my enemy. Amen. And it's a great privilege. It really, really is. I find so many things about laying up treasures above. I find, I find things here that tell me I don't have to worry. Uh, there's a song that they sing sometimes back home, and I kind of wish, I, I can't hurt, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I wish they quit singing it. I've been singing it for years. It says I won't have to worry anymore. Someday I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go up into that eternal life that's after this life, and I won't have to worry anymore. And I always want to say, hey, brother, my Bible told me I can already skip out on the worrying, amen, because I'm in the kingdom of God. Because I don't have to worry. I don't have to be afraid. I'm already in a covenant relationship with the Lord. I, in the kingdom of God, I can, I can commit all judgment to the Lord and say, Lord, you just take care of all these things. There's one little verse there. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, I wanted to focus on for a moment. Jesus said, but seek, but seek first the kingdom of God. There's, an, there's order there. There's priority. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I'm just asking you tonight because I'd like to think we're all kingdom men and kingdom women here, right? Because we know what it is to live in the kingdom of God. In the ministry of Christ, his great invitation was for several things. It was to be forgiven of sin by his sacrifice that he would make. And there's no way that we could ever adequately preach the value of having your sins forgiven. When, when, you, when you've had that experience, and this is the Sunday night crowd, most of you probably had the experience. Uh, of knowing what it was when by the witness of the Spirit of God, you knew in your heart that all the record, bloody and stained as it was, it was all washed away, amen, and you knew you'd been... There's just no way that I could stand here tonight and preach to you what it means to have your sins forgiven. But, but, but now listen to what I'm saying to you. Even that, even that glorious reality of having sins forgiven was to a greater purpose. Christ cleansed you from your sin. He rescued you from judgment and from iniquity. Well, the Bible says that he delivered you from the power of darkness so that he could do what? So that he could convey you into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Amen. The reason you were forgiven, the reason Christ died for you was so that He could put you in the kingdom. Amen. Isn't that good news to you tonight? I'm thankful for that. And so when every time I open my Bible, I'm reading through the Gospels, every time I find Jesus won't quit talking about the kingdom. And then I think, well, then maybe I don't have to quit talking about the kingdom. I can go on and on about it all I really want to because that's what Jesus did. We're going to look at, a, at an exchange here and Jesus in the middle of this. I just want you to notice something. Jesus is trying to teach kingdom values in, in the middle of a, a little bit of a hostile environment. He's trying to show people what it means to live the kingdom life and he's trying to lay before them an invitation. And the question is whether or not they will accept that invitation, whether they will say yes to the invitation to be a part of this kingdom of God or not. And so we're in Luke chapter 14, and I'm just going to begin reading here. It says in verse 1 now, it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him closely. I love it about Jesus that he's able to uh, find fellowship and find companionship and enjoy the company of, of people from all, all different walks of life. 
We find in other places in the scripture that he is with the downcast, the outcast even. He's with those that everybody else has rejected. He sits at the table in the home, for example, of Zacchaeus and, and all his tax collector friends, hated by all their neighbors, hated by everybody else. But on that day, the Son of God, the living incarnation of God himself, walked into the home of that tax collector and showed him mercy and love. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. If he's willing to do that, he'll, he'll have fellowship with you too, if you'll have him. Amen? And so, and so here, here we find Jesus. He's not, at, by any means now, at the home of, of, a, of a tax collector, but he's gone to the home of the ruler of, of a certain group of these Pharisees. You see, isn't that wonderful that they've invited Jesus? Well, we find out that they had, they had a motive in mind. It said that they, they watched him closely. I don't think it's on their heart just yet that they want to be followers of this man from Nazareth. They're, they're not ready to say yes, Lord, to him. You, you get the feeling that what they really are doing is they're saying among themselves, we have suspicions about this man. Let's get him off by himself somewhere and we'll find him out. We'll figure out what's wrong with him. We'll figure out in what ways he is lacking in spiritual things and we'll be glad to tell him and everybody else all about it. So he comes on the Sabbath to this Sabbath day Meal. It was a big deal in the, in the Pharisee sect to have the Sabbath meal. And they've invited Jesus and they watched him closely. Verse number two says, And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And I have to confess to you that when I read that in verse two, it just kind of tickles me somehow because it seems like an old, sounds like something my grandmother would say about somebody for an illness you couldn't really tell what it was. What's wrong with someone? Well, honey, he's got the dropsy. I, I didn't know. When I got to be honest with you, I was reading my Bible a while back and I was reading Luke 14, 2 here and, and, and I, I had to look that up. I, th I don't even know what the dropsy is. I just thought somebody just of a weak constitution. I didn't know. And it's, it, by the way, this is the only time in the scripture that we're told by, uh, by the gospel writers that Jesus healed somebody of dropsy. It, it may have been that he healed lots of people of dropsy, but the Bible didn't record it for us. This is the physician Luke who has said that here's a man with dropsy and, and Jesus healed. Do you, do you know what dropsy is? Dropsy is, is swelling. It's, it's edema. And you know, sometimes we have an injury and it swells, but then there's another kind of swelling. Probably what this man has today, we would call it not dropsy, but but we would probably call it something else. This man probably has a condition we know is congestive heart failure. And if you have that, you go to the doctor, they give you some medicine, they'll scare you to death. Heart failure sounds serious to me. I don't know about you, but that just sounds like something I want to avoid. But they all, we, we, we'll give you some medicine, we'll just watch it, you know. But, but in the day and, and age where Jesus is, is, is ministering here, this man has this, this congestive heart failure. And with congestive heart failure, what happens is that the, the heart, as it weakens, is not, is not really sufficient to move blood through the kidneys well enough so that the kidneys can function right. And so heart failure then leads further into kidney failure and fluid begins to just, to just build up all over the body. And this man with his dropsy, he would have been weak. He would have been out of breath. It would have been a struggle for him to move. His skin was probably very tight for all the fluid behind it. And he may have even been, by this point, who knows, he may have even been oozing fluid. It, it, it'll come through on you. And that, such is life for somebody with the dropsy. And so, so there was this man here before him who had, who had the dropsy. I don't know for sure. My suspicion, my suspicion is that these Pharisees have engineered the moment. They have made sure that there was somebody present who was sick on the Sabbath day to see what Jesus would do because they wanted perhaps to have something to accuse him of. Isn't it a sad commentary, by the way, on the world when the world, when it looks for anything and everything to accuse somebody, even a man of compassion, because he has compassion on somebody sick, because he's willing to reach out and offer help to somebody, that is something else that they will use to attack him. I don't know for sure, but I just have a suspicion that, 
that maybe one of them would look and say, go out there and find somebody sick and get them in here so we find out what Jesus does on, on the Sabbath day. And here they come dragging in this, this poor fellow with dropsy. Come and eat with us. You have to come, come. Verse 3, and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This was the question. This was the argument that they had. Is healing on the Sabbath, is showing mercy on the Sabbath, is reaching out with kindness on the Sabbath, a violation of the law of God, or is it not? What do you think, you, you, you learned, learned men, you teachers of Israel? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. They wouldn't, they wouldn't really answer for themselves. They wouldn't say a word. They just kept their mouths closed. Verse 5 said, Then he answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. He said, Because listen, I know and you know that if it were just you walking by your barn on the Sabbath day and it was your animal that had fallen into a pit or had gotten into a ditch, it had gotten stuck. And there wasn't an audience. There wasn't anybody looking on. You know and I know you would immediately reach out and, and lift that animal out of the ditch. You'd get him out of the bind. You'd fix him. And Jesus is saying to them, out of your foolishness and your selfishness, you have more compassion on an animal than you have this poor creature who's been made in the image of God. Do you know what Jesus is teaching them here? He's trying to teach them a kingdom lesson. A kingdom lesson. And if it's a good kingdom lesson for them, it's a good kingdom lesson for us too. Right? Amen. Let me just read the next verse here. Uh, and, and they couldn't answer him. He goes on. He, he, he heals this man. They said that he, he took him, he healed him, and, and he let him go. Verse 4. He's teaching them a kingdom lesson. And if we might just drill down on it for a moment. Here's the kingdom lesson. It is a mark of the kingdom of God and the citizens of that kingdom that they are men and women of compassion. Compassion. Can I just say it to you this way? If you don't have compassion in your heart, and, and I've met people, and you've probably met people before too, who just, I'm, it just seems like they're not ever touched with compassion. Amen. It just seems like they're never moved. They're never, I mean, they're never troubled by the suffering of anybody else. They never look with pity on anything. And sometimes those people will come along and then they'll tell you their testimony as a Christian. Well, let me, just, let me just blow all that away for a moment and just say it like this. If you have no compassion in your heart, it's simply because you have no Christ in your heart. Amen. And I could not possibly stand before you tonight and say, friend, if that's you, you ought to try harder to have compassion because it'll do you no good. It'll do you no good to try to have more compassion because you are dead. You are dead, dead in sins and trespasses and you can't do any better. What you need is to be saved, to be born again and let Christ come into your heart. Amen. I was listening to Dr. old, old Dr. E.V. Hill. Y'all remember Dr. E.V. Hill? I liked old E.V. Hill. He, what, a, what a tremendous preacher he was. And he was talking about growing up and, and living in the times of... of, of extreme racial tension and he said man I just hated white people so bad I hated them I hated them he said we get together in prayer meeting and hate on them you know and he found himself he'd gone off to college and he'd been a, a part of some kind of Christian student union and they were sending him uh, on a to a convention but he had to ride with a white brother he said I can't go I'm not going I won't go I won't go and he said, he said, but it just worked out. He didn't have no choice. He had to go. And he said, and I went just waiting, just waiting for this man to show me who he really was. He said, it made me so mad because he never would do it. He never would give me reason to hate him. And he said, you know, I have to be honest with you. I met the Lord in a more profound way on that trip than I ever had before. And he said, all I can tell you is this. When Jesus came in, he brought a lot of things with him and a lot of stuff left. Amen? Can, can I tell you, it's, it's just a kingdom truth. It's just a kingdom truth. 
than in a world where people are just gobbling and devouring one another left and right. The people of God will be different because they will have the compassion of Christ living within them. They'll look at others. They'll look at others and they'll, and they'll have mercy and they'll have pity like Jesus has pity. Amen. And Jesus is trying to get these men to understand that there's something wrong, that they don't have any compassion. Well, he goes on. And it says in verse 7, So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. Uh, in, in those days to come to a, a dinner affair, especially for these Pharisees on the Sabbath meal, it would have been a mark of honor. It would have been an, a, a, an example of you were standing the closer you sat to the host. And so when you came into a meal, it'd be kind of like going to a wedding or going to a big dinner like that. And the closer you sit to the head table, the, the more important you are, you know. And, and, so, and so Jesus has watched these men who have no compassion for their, for their neighbor with the dropsy, right? With the swelled up, leaking fluids everywhere. Oh my goodness, just a pitiful man. They don't have any compassion. What are they thinking about instead? They're, they're thinking about, I need the best seat I can get. I mean, that's what's on their mind. I want... I want as much honor for me as I can, as I can have Jesus noted that. And so in verse 8, he says, when, when you're invited by anyone to, and he frames it this way, to a wedding feast. A wedding feast. Wedding feasts were a big deal. They were. He said, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. And, and wouldn't that be embarrassing? Wouldn't it be embarrassing if you came in and you strutted right up to the head table and you sat down and, and you read, you know, and, 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 and here, comes, here comes the master of the feast who has to say, buddy, you've, you've taken a little too much honor for yourself. You parked yourself right up front here and we kind of aim for you to be closer back toward the door. Now, you're in somebody's seat. Get up. And go back that way. He said, wouldn't that, wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be terrible to do that? He said, he said, don't do it like that. Don't do it like that. Verse 10, but when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Verse 11, here's the kingdom truth. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I told you a minute ago that compassion is a mark of the kingdom of God. It's just a part of the culture of that kingdom. And you'll see it in the citizens of that place. They are people of compassion. But if that be true, it's also true that they are also men and women of humility. 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 Can I tell you that one of the metrics that you can use, one of the things that you can, you can kind of gauge where you are in the pathway of discipleship. Remember taking your kids when they were little and they would, they would go for their, their well-checked visits? Did, did you, do you have those like that, I guess? You, you, know, they, you take them in and they're little bitty and you put them up there and they measure how long they are because they can't stand up yet. And they weigh and make sure they're gaining weight like they're supposed to. One of the things that they, they always do with those, they also measure the circumference of their heads, which was always amusing to me because my son Seth came by some things, honestly. I, people in my family, we're blockheaded. We just are. We just are. You know, we're blessed with big noggins. I have to weigh 300 pounds. I don't have a skinny guy head, so I got to, I'd look really out of proportion. Thank you all for the pie and keeping me looking the way I need to look. But, but uh, they would always come in with that measuring tape and they would be writing down and measuring and, and then they would go outside and put it in the community. And they would, they would always measure his head and they would, every, every single time we were at the doctor for one of these, they would measure his head and they would walk back out and within a minute they would walk back in and say, hold on just a minute, we've mismeasured something. <laughs> Bet you didn't. And she would measure his head again and say, my Lord, under her breath and walk back out the door. Yeah, <laughs> she had it spot on. She measured to see if it was where he needed to be. And <laughs> can can I can I tell you can I tell you that that there is a metric that you can use to find out how 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 you're progressing in the Christian life. And and speaking in you know in uh, metaphor here, 
a swelled head is a bad problem. Right? Because humility is a mark of a Christian who is progressing. You, you, you hear what I'm saying to you? Humility. It's funny how the world, the world does not celebrate humility. It ne- doesn't. It never will. And, and more and more I'm finding within this, the church culture, it's not always celebrated in the church either. That is the visible church. But the kingdom, the kingdom of God knows the value. The kingdom of God knows the value of humility. And, and somebody, somebody said it this way, and I think there's value in it. It's not, it's not so much that, that, that Christians, that genuine spirit-filled Christians always think less of themselves. Hey, look, when I read my Bible, it tells me that I am made in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of the Son of God, filled with the Spirit of God. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you. It, it seems to me that, that, that when I read the Bible and believe it, it elevates where I think I am. It really does. It's not, it's not that we have some sort of complex where we're always thinking terrible things about ourselves. It's not that we're thinking less of ourselves. It's that we're thinking of ourselves less. It's not about self anymore. It's not about me promoting me anymore. It's not about me making sure that I'm getting my due respect. I'm getting my due attention from everybody. Amen. And so when I'm in this kingdom life, I've been set free from having to worry about all that. Amen. And I can just leave all that with God and say, God, this is none of my concern anymore to worry over those things. I don't have to make sure that I get the best seat at the wedding feast. I don't have to make sure that I get all the proper attention and applause. How about you, friend? Can I just ask you just in a moment here? How about you in your, in your walk with Christ? Do you find that you don't even have to focus on it as much as you used to? You know, there was a time when you had to really fight that, mountain, that monster down, you know. But, but do you find that just the longer you live with this spirit of Christ inside you, that it just comes more natural to you? That you just, you just don't focus so much on yourself anymore. You just, it's not where your thinking is all the time. Now, if that's true, don't get proud of yourself for it. That'd be going back in the other direction. But just understand that this is a kingdom principle. It is a kingdom thing for you and me to be compassionate and to be humble. To be humble. Why, Why is that important? Because of verse 11. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself, God will exalt him. Amen? Amen? Amen. Right. Verse, verse 12, he goes on and said, Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors. And he says this to a man who's sitting there who's just given this feast, and who's sitting at the table, almost certainly it was his friends, his brothers, his relatives, and his rich neighbors that he invited, right? This, this is who he's talking to. He's looking around. He's very on the nose about this. He says, when you, when you give a supper or a dinner, don't, don't just invite, unless they also invite you back and, and you be repaid. Hey, he says, listen now. You know how this works, and I know how this works. You have a big dinner, and you really put out the the spread for these people. But you know next week they're calling you, and you're going to their house. Amen. And and you're going to eat just as good over there. And you're going to be repaid for everything that you've done. This This is the back and forth and the exchange that you're used to. And he says, but listen, I'm telling you that the kingdom life is is different. It's different than that. Amen. Verse 13, but when you you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Do, Do you think that these Pharisees naturally sought out the company of the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind? No. Do you think that You naturally, apart from the working of Christ in you, will naturally seek out the company of the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Most of us use our social interactions. This is the way of the world. We use our social interactions as opportunities for upward mobility. Right? For stepping up. For finding our way into better and better circles. And, and Jesus, it still plays right off of what he just talked about with humility. 
Humble yourself even in your association. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. He says, he says go out and invite them. Verse 14, here's why. Here, here is the kingdom principle and you will be blessed. You'll be blessed when, you're, when you have this approach. You'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The principle Jesus is teaching them about kingdom life. In the kingdom, the men and the women of the kingdom are compassionate and they're humble and they're generous. They're generous. When they give, it's not so that they can be repaid with a kindness just like it next week, right? And, and, and they're not even thinking about that. That's not even on their radar. They're just thinking, hey, listen, listen, God has given me compassion. He's given me humility. Why shouldn't I reach out to those who seem like they're, 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 they're below my station? Why shouldn't I reach out to those who really don't have many people inviting them, who really don't have anybody showing them kindness? If I can give to them this same love in a small, small way, the same love that Christ has given me when he's invited me to come and sit at his table with him in the kingdom. Amen. What a, what a joy it is. Anyway. Well, well, we said that that's not in us naturally. It takes the Spirit of Christ to do that. Is the Spirit of Christ doing that in you? When, when, now, now, now we, can, we can over-spiritualize the teachings of Jesus. We can read the things that Jesus says in the Word, and we can scratch our head and say, reckon what he meant by that. When he means exactly what he said, right? If somebody strikes you on the, on the left cheek, turn to him the right also. Reckon what he meant by that. Well, what he means by that is, if someone strikes you on the left cheek, turn to him the right also, right? Jesus says it's, more, it, it, it's easier for a, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Reckon what he meant by that. He meant that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to... You hear what I'm saying to you? you, you here's the thing. You can get the camel through the eye of the needle, but it's going to take extreme rearrangement of the camel. Yeah? My sons were in fifth grade, and their, their teacher was trying to teach them fractions. You know how we're dividing one number by a bigger number, and that gives us fractions. And she said, let me explain it to you like this. Take the fraction seven-eighths. If we divide seven chickens into eight parts, you can do it, but it's going to make a mess. <laughs> right? And Jesus talks to us the same way. He said, I just can't figure out exactly what he, he Listen, when Jesus says, when Jesus says, make sure, make sure, make sure, you invite. And don't, don't put a spectacle, don't make them into some kind of a spectacle. Just include them. Find somebody you would naturally show uh, this kind of, of, of hospitality to and make sure you're including them. Because you're demonstrating in that that these are kingdom principles and I'm inviting you into this kingdom. You know what Jesus is trying to show these Pharisees and they're having a hard time seeing it, understanding the glory of it. They're so full of their own lives and the system that they're in. They don't, they don't see the value of the kingdom of God. And he's trying to give to them an invitation to come in to the kingdom of God. And I wonder if Jesus got a little frustrated with their, their lack of, of, of just being able to see it. Because the next thing that happens here, in verse 15, he starts to tell them a, a parable. And so let's look at that. I'm not going to talk too much longer tonight. but Just in this parable here, it said, Now, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, <laughs> I love this, he got, he got a little excited. He wants to sound spiritual. Oh, Lord, oh, man. You're talking about, about going in and being invited to a big supper. He said, he said Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, won't it be something when we've put this whole world away behind us, when, we're, when we walked away from all those poor and blind and miserable and, 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 and lame people, and we find ourselves, you know, people like me that are good enough for it, when we find ourselves seated in the kingdom of God, won't that be wonderful? And you know what, what he really is saying is that he doesn't know the first thing about what he's talking about. He's complete. What is it to sit at the table in the kingdom of God? 
What's the greatest glory of sitting at the table in the kingdom of God? I would just submit to you that the greatest glory of sitting at the table in the kingdom of God is who you sit at the table with. It's with a, with a Lamb of God himself, with Jesus Christ. Do you see where this man is today? This moment when he's saying that, he is sitting with Christ. And he doesn't see it. He doesn't see it. Oh, won't it be wonderful? When? When? Will it be better than what is available right now? When will it be more than this? So verse 16, then Jesus said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and he invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. He uses this, this picture of this of this great supper. Possibly it was a wedding supper. Maybe it was in the culture of those times. It was natural and normal that, that also that, the, that even a, a, the, the family of a groom would have a part to play in the, in the wedding celebration, the wedding feast, right? And a wedding feast in those days is not like it is for us. You, you know how you get, a, you get a wedding invitation and basically they're asking you for half of a Saturday, right? And, and depending on who it is and how much you like them, you either receive that wedding invitation with great joy or with uh, something a little bit dismal. You know, gosh, I've got better things to do than that. Right? But, but in the days that we're talking about, here, here's Jesus, and he's talking about being invited to something like this. Well, it may, in fact, it may take several days. It's, it's a long time to sit, to sit together, to be together, the fellowship of this all, right? And, 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 and Jesus says... Jesus says a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. Amen. It's kind of like he sent out the RSVP, I, I really want you to come. You know, when you get that wedding invitation, RSVP, I got one at home I was supposed to send in a few weeks ago. I'm bad about that. I really am. I, I, I just forget. I mean to do it. I think, well, I'm going to send that in and then... Uh, it's time for the wedding. What that really means, RSVP stands for Reponde Sibuple, and it's, it's French for tell us if you're coming or you ain't. You know, that's what that means, right? I mean, you know, we're trying to have a dinner here, and we don't want to kill too many chickens. So we need to know if we need to kill a chicken for you or not. So tell us, tell us if you're coming or you ain't. And so, and so this man sends out his servant, tell them the chickens are killed. And the table is laid and we're ready for this thing. Oh, what a, what a fine moment it is for you to come to be invited to something like that. Really, a, a, great, a great wedding supper uh, that is provided by a family who can afford to do it right. In a time and a place where often people didn't always have enough food to eat. When your daily life, you, you were often... Rotating which meal you were going to get less food than you needed. Right? These people lived on the edge of deprivation for the most part. So to be invited to come to an occasion like this. This is something, if it was, if it was a really, really, really special one. This is something that you would literally spend the rest of your life talking about. God, what did we, do you remember? Do you remember the food that we had? Do you remember how we walked in and... The place was just so set and everything was so beautiful. And the food, all the food that was on the table there for us to spend all the time we wanted and to eat all that we wanted of it. And everybody, everybody dressed in their wedding garment and how everybody looked and all the music that was there. You'd spend the rest of your life talking about what a privilege it was to have been included in a moment like that. Sent his servant at supper time saying to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. The table is laid. The musicians are playing. We're ready for this. Verse 18 says, but they all with one accord began to make excuses on why they could not come. Some, some occasions are so weighty that it takes a pretty good excuse to get out of it. Right? I don't know what kind of excuses you've tried before. I imagine everybody sitting here has tried some excuse or another along the way somewhere. Is there anybody who hasn't that can call me a liar on that one? No, I take it we're all in the same boat then. We've all, we've all used excuses to get out of an event or an occasion we didn't really want to go to, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, 
getting ready to go to something we didn't want to, and all of a sudden the dog got sick and vomited on the carpet, and you said, praise God, praise God. <laughs> now I can call and tell them the dog's sick. I can't come. You know, I would come to your son's wedding. It's special. I love him so good, but the dog's throwing up. I can't leave that, you know. What are you... But there's something, what I'm saying is, you've got you've to match the excuse to the occasion. Don't try that dog vomit on when it's your own grandkid getting married. It ain't going to work. You know what I'm saying? And, and here, here, look at what Jesus, and it says, it says he, he says, this man, he invited, they come because the table is laid, but with one accord they began, they began to make excuses. The first, the first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Well, I mean, is this important, right? I mean, if you've bought, if you've bought some ground, you've bought some farmland, you say, I've, I've bought it, but I've got to go look it over. You know, there's always going to be some things that need to be done. There are things I need to make sure of. I've got to make sure it's everything exactly like it was supposed to be. This is important to me. And, I, man, I would really come. I would. I'd come. But I got, I've got this thing to do. You know what I'm saying? I, I've, got, I've got something to do here. Hey, if, if you have another one sometime... Call me up, and if I ain't got something else to do, can't find another excuse then, well, I'll be there. I'm a come, I'll come running. But, but, but right now, it's just, not, it's just not a good time. I've got this, I've got this ground. And then what would the next one say? The next one says, uh, verse 19, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Five yoke, two per yoke. I assume that's ten big ox that he's, Ten big oxen that he has he, he's bought. And he said, you know, I done had, them, had it in my mind that this is what I was going to do today. I was going to go work them oxen and see if they were what they were supposed to be. You know, I, I, I really, I hate, to, I hate to disappoint the oxen. They were looking at forward to it so bad, you know. We were going to go do it. Well, don't you know this is important? You know, there are some things that are important, aren't there? There are some things that are important until, until... They are weighed against that which should have taken priority. And that's when they shrink way, way, way down inside. Right? When, they, when, when, they're, weighed, when they're weighed against what should have taken priority. There's a, I always think back. There's a fellow that I knew when I was pastoring down in Campbellsville. I might have told this story up here before. If I have, y'all just act like you had never heard it before, and I'll never know the difference. Uh, but anyway, there was this fellow. His name was James. He was an older fellow, and one of the things he loved better than anything, he loved fried catfish. And he, he loved, there was a place two counties away down in Russell Springs, Kentucky, called Coe's Catfish Kitchen. And it was his favorite place in the whole world to go eat catfish. Only trouble was, James didn't drive anymore. And so he, uh, and so he, he had to, finagle a ride from a buddy and so he called his buddy said I want to go down to Coles and eat that catfish and I want you to drive me you take me down there and and I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy you dinner well all right let's do it so they head off they start down now James had been a sick man he hadn't been well he'd had a few heart attacks and on the way down the road he said to his buddy he said have you ever had a heart attack and he said he said no I don't I don't think so and and he said well I've had several he said matter of fact I'm having one right now and he said, you're kidding me. He said, no, I'm having a heart attack. He said, well, let me find the hospital. He said, no, sir. He said, I've started out to go eat that catfish down at Coe's, and I ain't turning around. I won't go. He said, you're crazy. We got, no, I'm not, if you take me to the hospital, I won't get a car. I'm going to go eat that catfish. What do you do if you're the buddy in this situation? You go to Coe's and say, get out of the car. Let's go eat that fish so we can see this. And then when you go into Coe's, I mean, they, they, they pile it deep and wide, you know. I mean, it's, it's a platter full. I mean, it's Everything is fried. There ain't nothing they serve that ain't been run through the, 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 the baptized in, in fry roll. And so, I mean, he comes at the big plate and James eats still. He's about half sick from just being full. And his buddy looks at him and says, James, I guess, I guess you're feeling better now. I guess you're not really having a heart attack. He said, no, I really am. He said, I'm having a heart attack and I can tell it's going to be a doozy too. <laughs> he said, well, let me find the hospital here in Russell County. He said, I'm not going to the hospital here. You've got to take me back home to... Two counties, an hour's drive away. He said, you got to take me there. I'm not going to the hospital here. And he drove him. And sure enough, James had had a heart attack. And they put him in ICU. And he spent a couple weeks there. Can I just say to you, a heart attack's a good reason to not go eat fish. <laughs> Measured one against the other, you figure out which one takes the priority. 
and this, this, these men here in the story so far that we've talked about, well, I bought some ground. Well, that's important, right? That's important. And another one said, I bought some oxen. I, was, I had already planned it out. I was going to go today. Well, I guess that's important too. But when you measure those things against the invitation given, and it's not just a feast, but this is, this is a metaphor for an invitation to the kingdom of God, to the great kingdom feast. Amen. Measured against that. What are all the affairs of this world? They're nothing. They're nothing. Right? So many times we try to reach out to people and they're so busy, they're so busy, they're so busy. They don't have time for God. Can I tell you, you know this as well as I do, there will eventually come a moment when God will have cleared your schedule of everything. Nothing more to worry about. Nothing else to think about other than staring God right in the eye face to face. Well, these two say, well, we can't come because we're so busy with the affairs of this world. Well, well. Like the verse 20. Still another said, well, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> I don't know why he couldn't come. Maybe he thought his wife was ugly. I don't know why he didn't want to bring his wife. I don't know what was going on there. Why, why, what? What's your wife? Well, the little lady, you know, you know, she just ain't one for getting out and going around places too much. So I can't, I can't come because, you know, she's half the guy. We can't do that. Sometimes I'll find myself, I'll, I'll, I'll meet people and I'll invite them just, maybe just even to come to church. I mean, we ain't even talked about salvation yet. Just invite them to come, just a little opener. Hey, we'd love to have you at church. Come to this. And, and so many times I have people say, well, I, you know, I would. I would come, but, but my wife won't come. I, I got, a, I got a, a fella I know. He's a, he's, a, he's a dear fella. I love him a whole lot. And every time I invite him to church, he, he says that. And I, and I say, well, well, where is she? And I'll talk to her about it. Well, she's at home. What? What? She's at home? You mean to tell me you can leave her by herself? Because I thought you couldn't. Invite the lady to church a while back. And, well, my husband, he, won't, he ain't one for church. He don't want to come. Well, come on without him. He can probably work the remote okay by himself, Right? I bet, I bet he knows how to run the microwave. He won't starve to death while you're at church. You come on. You come on without him. You quit using him for an excuse. You come on. Amen. You come on. And just maybe next week or the week after that or the week after that, he'll see you going. That, well, I just might go with you today. But we're not just talking about going to church. We're talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God and the open invitation that's been given to you to come and to be a part. Why would you, why would you let anybody else keep you out of that? Remember the story. Jesus, Jesus said, man comes to him and says, I, I will follow you. I will follow you. But first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says something pretty hard to him there, doesn't he? He says, let the dead bury their dead. Why, you ain't going time for a funeral? Hey, listen to me. That man's father wasn't even sick. He wasn't even sick yet. He was still very much alive. He was just saying, my daddy don't want me to be a follower of yours and I got to wait till he's dead so I don't lose some inheritance over this. Right? I can't afford to disappoint my father. I can't afford to have him get mad at me. And Jesus says, let that dead man be buried by other dead men, but you go and preach the kingdom. Right? Right? Whatever it called. What, what, what measured against this invitation, whatever it is, he says, whatever it is, there's just no, there's just no comparing it. Verse 21, so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being disappointed said to his servant. Is that what it said? You following with me here? Luke 14, verse 21, that servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house being disappointed. doesn't say he was disappointed, does it? It says that he was angry. He was angry. Do you know what it has cost me? To give you this invitation. Do you know the incredible expense that I have gone to so that you could be included in the kingdom of God? What God has done for us is more than killing a chicken. What God has done for us is more than hiring musicians and, and setting a fine table. God has given His Son that we might be included in the kingdom of God. Amen. 
and it said in, 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 the, in the parable here that master was angry. Well, I would say it makes God very angry too. God loves lost men and women. God loves them. He loves them so much that he's given his son for them so that they could be included. Right? Amen. We know this. But don't ever for a moment think that it doesn't make God angry when day after day and year after year of their lives, men and women tell him, no, thank you. I don't want to be included. I don't want to go. I have better things to do. And what, what do most people say? You ask them, well, what happens when you die and you stand before the Lord and God says, why should I let you into this eternity that I have prepared? And they say, they say, well, I will say to God, God, you know that I'm a good person. And you know that the good in my life outweighs the bad. And that I've been kind and generous and done all these things like I was supposed to. And I deserve, I deserve to go into that place. And God will say to them, no. <laughs> no, you don't deserve it. And as a matter of fact, you are a liar and you are a thief. You're a liar because you say that you are good enough and that you deserve all the rich blessings in heaven when in fact you have failed, you have failed in every conceivable way. You've come so far short of the mark that it is, it is ridiculous to think that you have done it right enough on your own. And you're a thief. You're a thief because you would take that which is not yours. It could have been yours. You were invited for it to be yours, but you wouldn't have it because you didn't value it as long as you had another life, as long as you had another life. To, you hear what I'm saying to you? Master, that house was, was, was angry, and he said to his servant, go, go quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. He says, I'll show you how the kingdom works. I'll show you what it looks like when you see these that you would turn your eyes away from and not make eye contact with them on the street and you'll see them coming in. The servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. Still there's room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. None of them will come now. Their invitation is finished. Every day people die and leave this world and their invitation to the kingdom is finished and it's over with. They will not come in. They will not ever come in. Think about the things that Jesus said in the scripture that sounded pretty hard. You know the hardest thing I find Jesus? Jesus looks at a group of Pharisees much like these that he's telling this parable to and he looks at them and he just says, you will die in your sin. You will die in your sin prophesying about those men specifically, you will not come into the kingdom of God. The invitation was given, but you will not accept. And you'll go your way. You'll go your way. These men were very religious. As we talked about this morning, in so many ways, they, they kind of they fit the bill of some of those things there. They were very careful about, about certain religious obligations. They were... They were so nitpicky over so many little things that didn't amount to a hill of beans. They were so worried about little legalistic stuff that was a distraction from the genuine invitation of God to come and be a part of a kingdom. Well, anyway, tonight I'm thankful for the kingdom of God. I'm thankful because it has been to me an open door and Christ set that open door before me and I, I can't say that I'm all that bright or brilliant but I can tell you that at the moment when I heard him call me I said yes Lord I'm thankful for that amen how about you have you said yes Lord there's that door I'm a coming through God here's my little RSVP card you kill the chicken I'll come eat it with you Lord I'm a coming Lord I'm going to be right there with you I'm coming into this kingdom with you because I want your fellowship, because I desire it above all other things, and I'm willing to put on whatever garment you tell me I need to wear, and I'm willing to adopt all the customs and the practices of this new homeland of mine, that I should come from that miserable land of sin in Egypt, that land of bondage, and be conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of God's love is mind-boggling. 
and it still is to me, by the way. I've never gotten over it. Have you gotten over it? Have you been saved so long? It just seems like a common everyday thing. Can I tell you, you need to spend a little bit more time back at the altar to remember where you came from. Amen? Does it still startle you when you think of it? That the God of heaven and earth built a kingdom and then said to me, I want you to come in. I want you to be a part of it. Well, well, if I'm going to be in the kingdom, as I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm finished talking here in just a second. But if I'm going to be in the kingdom of God, brother, I want the full experience. I don't, I don't want to be one of them halfway people that just sort of an expatriate from somewhere else that comes in and never really conforms. Amen? I want to conform to the kingdom life. And if that means that I've got to be humble then there's going to be a glory and a joy in being humble. If that means I'm going to have to walk with compassion in this world, then brother, let me be compassionate. If it means I'm going to have to be generous and look at everything that I have title to as far as this world is concerned, and I can say, but Lord, I really own nothing here. I'm at best a steward of things, all of which are yours. None of it is mine. It all belongs to you. Lord, help me manage it just that way. Amen. I'm going to leave all these things to you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do just exactly what you said to do in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And let all these other things come together just the way just the way that they need to. I wanted to talk about that with you tonight. Felt like the Lord was, was, was laying it on my heart. Somebody said that the difference between teaching and preaching is that preaching pushes you to something. Teaching informs and preaching pushes. Well, I'm, I'm standing here tonight thinking, Lord, what is it that you wanted to push these people here to on a Sunday night, a revival, with a message about the kingdom and about the invitation? I come in here, and, and, and the assumption that I usually have coming in on the night service is probably everybody here is a Christian, already been born again, saved. But you know what? I don't really know that for sure. The Bible says that Man looks on the outward appearance, it's all I can see. But God looks on the heart. You know whether you're sitting in the kingdom with Christ or, 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 or whether you have vacated your seat at the table. I, I can't say that. And so it, just might, it just, just might be, dear friend, it just might be that there's somebody today who really needs to hear that very clear invitation. Come in, come in. You don't have to stand out in the cold. You don't have to stand out there in the world. You don't have to stand out there being lost and separated from Christ. He loves you. And the Father has gone to such great expense to make a place for you at this table. Why aren't you sitting in it? Come on, man. Come on and come in. You know? You know? It might be that there's somebody who's become a Christian, maybe recently, maybe not so recently. And you've come in and you've sat down at the table, but you've, you've still got your guard up a little bit. You ever been invited into a into a house to eat dinner and the house was nicer than your house. And you looked at the floor and the carpet and you thought, I don't think they've ever wore their shoes on this carpet. Right? I don't think their dog ever threw up in here once. I don't think, it doesn't even look, you know, you, know, you, you kind of have that feel like I have, I have stepped in somewhere where I don't really fit in and don't even belong. And you kind of keep your guard up. You're, you're so afraid that you're going to be exposed as a fraud. Can I, can I ask you, is it, is it possible that tonight there just might be somebody sitting here? You're in the kingdom of God, but you've got your guard up because you're afraid that you're going to be exposed as a fraud like you don't really just deserve to be there. Hey, listen, can I tell you a secret? Apart from the man at the head of the table, that's who we all are. You take away the grace of Christ, every one of us is a fraud. You take away the work of Christ on our behalf. Every one of hey, none of us really belong here except that, except that he has made us belong here. Amen. He has made And can I, can I just tell you that you can, you can just put your elbows on this table and you can just enjoy it and act like it's really where you're supposed to be because, friend, it's really where you're supposed to be. It is the work of God on your behalf. Own that. Say, oh, dear God, just I want to celebrate that. I was driving yesterday coming up here, and I got to thinking about how blessed I am. 
I don't know why, I just, just, I just had to, I was listening to some music on the radio and I just had to turn it off and pray. And just thank God, just thank God. And I said, Lord, I've got to be honest with you. I want to see some things still in my life. I want to see my kids finish growing up. I'd like to see my, my grandkids grow up. Probably after that, I'd like to see some great-grandkids grow up. I'll probably never say, well, it's enough. But I, I said, but I said, Lord, if, if, if I die before I get back home, this life that you have given me to live, in the kingdom of God, I have absolutely no complaints. Amen. Who am I that I should live the life that Christ has given me to live? Who am I that I should enjoy the blessings of this fellowship with God? Amen. And it's just stirred my heart up to be mesmerized by it all over again. It might just be that there's somebody here tonight You've been doing this for a while and you've forgotten to be mesmerized by it. Just lean back in your chair at this table. And just look around and take it in. This life that you've been given to live in Christ. Who are we? Who are we? We should have such fine things. And yet, we have them. Still startled. Still startled by it all. How about you? Are you still startled by it? I hope you are, and I hope you still get overcome with prayer of thanksgiving from time to time. Oh, God, how I want to thank you. Well, if there's anything you need to do regarding your life in the kingdom, whether it's coming in, feeling like you belong, or just being mesmerized by it all again. Well, it's a good chance to do that tonight. Amen? Somebody come and lead us in a song. Let's stand together. If, you, if you'd like to come to the altar tonight and just have your breath taken away again by the Holy Spirit, why come and ask Him for that. If you'd like to come tonight and say, Lord, I want in on that, I... These people, for all they know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure I'm sitting at the table. Come and get that taken care of tonight. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you come.